Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Book Two, Street Candles. Today's installment, Chapter 40, Last Chapter. The doctors informed me that I was having a slight relapse. They said another round of injections would be just the thing. It would make my world all roses and sunshine, all bunnies and butterflies. They said it would allow me to move forward with my life instead of being stuck in the worst moment of it. My lawyer said that if I continued to cooperate with the Fleeties and refrain from violence, then I could probably refuse these treatments if I wanted to, though he recommended otherwise. I wanted to, so I smiled and answered the captains and colonels and their little spy buddies with a friendly tone. I told them all they wanted to know. I probably told them much more than they wanted, and in return... They kept the medical goons off my back. By the end of the week, they were done with me. With a sign-off here and my initials there, oh, and here too, sorry, I walked out of the place in a simple jumpsuit that the hospital had provided. My first stop was to a financial consultant recommended by Priest. She was young but very sharp. I told her I wanted half my money safe and growing. I didn't need to touch it for a long time. The other half had to be placed in a separate account with interterritorial access. I then asked her to send off a long-distance message in my name with some rather unusual delivery instructions. And that was it. Thank you very much. Over the course of the next few shifts, I secured a small room through my union and tried to put my name into the available pool for work. Since I'd skipped out on that last treatment, though, I still had a medical flag on my record. It had to be cleared before they could get me anything. I wasn't in the mood for more doctors right then, so I put it off. A week later, while I was in my rented room scrolling through vid channels, there was a buzz at my door. The hall cam was broken, so I couldn't see who it was. The building manager said it was on his to-do list, and I hadn't cared enough to crab about it. When I opened up, a huge guy I'd never seen before was standing there, dressed in a very nice suit. He said nothing, but stepped in and looked around. Since he was large enough to insist, I didn't make him do so. There wasn't much to see, and what there was was shabby, and he found it unimpressive in a satisfying way. Stepping back out, he motioned someone forward. Sindra stepped in. She was changed again. Her eyes were back to their natural color, as was her hair, now cut very short in a careful bob. She wore what looked like a fashionable and expensive cross between a pantsuit and a gown. She had on fur and pearls, both likely lab-cultured and definitely beautiful. 
You look like garbage, Spacer. Oh, nice to see you too. Off to the opera? I don't know what that means. Your captain told me you were now free, but still sick. Why don't you get yourself fixed up? I couldn't quite track her words with her actions. I couldn't track her presence at all. You came here all the way from Duenda just to ask me that? Ja, you make the people who care about you sad. I should claim you attacked me and have you locked away and given the medicine you need. Yeah, because that's a mature approach. I felt surprisingly annoyed. She had traveled half the length of governed space because she was worried? It was irritating, all these people who just knew what was best for me. If you were really so blasted wise and wonderful, I said sharply, you wouldn't have needed my help to begin with. I turned from her, heading back to my bed, back to my new handheld vid set, cheap but serviceable. I had a bag of chip chunks in the blankets too somewhere. She grabbed my arm roughly before I could step away, spinning me around, and she slapped me hard. Her face was tight with anger and hurt, and her makeup was running. You don't get to say that, Spacer. Anyone else can say that, but not you. Other people are stupid. They are ignorant. Their words are nothing. You do not have that freedom. You think you are owed your pain, your losses? No one is owed these things. Barlow has gutted me. None of the major families escaped. Benley is dead. My padre is dead. It has stolen everyone. Back home they are idiots. They cannot even speak to me. I am alone. And you, you do not get to be mean to me. I looked at her with miserable shock. Because had I given it even fleeting consideration, I would have held my tongue. If I had been outside myself even by a little bit, I would have been happy to see her. If I wasn't me, I'd have been less like me. And that would have been better for everyone. I'm... I'm sorry. I, I... I wasn't thinking. That is what makes it horrible. She was openly sobbing. I found a pack of tissues on the counter, then led her over to the only seat in the room, which was my unmade bed. I flopped down next to her and felt for that bag under the blanket. Fishing out a greasy, fried protein ball, I popped it in my mouth. You lost all that weight, and now you are eating like this? Old habits. What about them? Never mind. Here, try one. They're disgusting. She blew her nose, then actually did take one. Tossing it in like I had, she looked immediately trapped. She gagged and spit it into her tissue. <laughs> no more of this, she commanded with disgust. Get on some shoes. Do you have a suit? What am I thinking? Of course you do not. You will put on your shoes, and we will buy you a suit, and you will have dinner with your friend at a nice place. 
Aren't there any nice places here? That made me laugh, and in reaction she scowled in a way that was familiar and comfortable, and my mirth turned to tears in the space of three heartbeats. She held me as water and snot fell from my face, and she said nothing. The big guy was fidgeting in clear discomfort. This wasn't a hired professional's expected assignment. It wasn't why rich people paid him to escort them to the crappy parts of town. It wasn't his job to witness survivors struggling to come to terms with newfound meaninglessness in lives that had once had direction, struggling and maybe failing. He just looked away, and in that moment, I wished with all my heart that I could do the same. So I went to a doctor. I called the union, had them make me an appointment with a specialist who, in turn, fit me in the next day. It was only a booster shot, after all. A simple fix. Any man who wanted to nurture his inner pain was viewed as displaying a symptom of the illness itself. But it was a betrayal, too. A conscious choice to forget the emotional impact of trauma and grief. And I couldn't imagine how that would make any life better. We were composed of good times and bad, of joy and tragedy. And if one glossed over the agonies, it was like they had never happened, like they didn't matter at all. Wasn't it? Sindra didn't think so. We met for lunch later in the week. She had to get back to her family estate on Duenda to sign some paperwork or something, so her elder cousin, who was now the official patriarch, a legal distinction over there, could take the reins of the family assets and start the process of rebuilding. She had to leave, but she also had to see me making an effort to get better. We sat waiting for soup in a chic place, massively unimpressive to me, but which seemed to meet some vague standard of the girls. She had another bodyguard with her, this time a woman, tall and powerful in a gen-engineered-looking way, but as well-dressed as the other one had been. She stood nearby, constantly surveilling the area, but out of our immediate earshot. Life must continue, Spacer. What else is there? My patro taught me that. I spent four weeks in hospitals back home while you were in hospitals over here. I was medicated and treated. I am alive. It is what he wanted. What he gave his life for. Doing anything less would be the betrayal. Do you hear this? You owe it to those who care about you and to those who have sacrificed for you. I tore bread absently, seeing things I didn't want to see, thinking things that didn't make me happy. But then that was no criteria. Will you settle here? she asked, after some brooding silence. It does not look so bad. No, I go where the work is. I'll be on another ship soon. Hm, your work is dangerous. You should change careers. Become a barista, open a cafe, and I will come often. 
She sipped at her noontime cocktail, which was a fruity-looking thing in a tall glass. It had a tiny umbrella with blinky little lights. She considered it with a cocked head, like a connoisseur of such things, and it made me chuckle. Are you finishing your degree? I asked after a bit. The soup had by now come and gone, and we were picking at dessert, killing time. Her ship was leaving in a few hours, and her bags were already packed up and waiting at the docks. Political studies are stupid, she said without emotion. I'm switching to finance and economics. My cousin Elmond wants people he can trust in the new family companies. Makes sense, I guess. She shrugged. Yeah, that sounds smart. You're smart. You'll do well. You should come back with me and work for the family. I think you are hopeless, of course, but Elman said to suggest it. He wants good people, like I said. Like you said. She gave me her Sindra scowl, and I smiled at last. Either way, he says you must have this. You helped me. You helped the family. She fished out a small data card. It was one of the secure banking ones, and she leaned over and shoved it into my breast pocket, where it stuck out awkwardly. I had tissues in there and some candies. Oh, no, Sindra, please, don't. It is done, so shut up. Think of it as a favor to me, Space Air. If I cannot even deliver a thank you gift to Familia Ancano, he will not be impressed. I want an important position where I do not have to work hard. Be grateful and be quiet. I looked to the floor. It bore a complex, programmable pattern of loops and jagged lines. It was odd, but also pleasant and not animated like floors in some of the tackier places. I especially hated those, because they threw me off balance. You will visit. It was a statement, a command. Of course. You lie, but that is fine. If you do not visit, I will make you visit. I'll visit. Next quarter, I will be angry if you do not come. I looked back up and caught her hand. She wore another com ring, Bigger and uglier than the last one, and I said as much. She scowled again, making her heavy, fashionable brows meet in the middle with a silly imperiousness. The frown hid her happiness and her pain, things that were one and the same now, and maybe always would be. I saw then that she was right, that her father, the cool, calculating, desperate commissioner had been right. Living was better than dying, and getting help didn't erase the past. It only let you live with it. She had to leave to catch her ship. She kissed my cheek and warned me to take care of myself, or else. Then she walked off with her escort the two of them disappearing into the flow of pedestrians outside the wide door. The 
Though the medical flag on my record had been lifted, the wheels of bureaucracy still had to grind over my employment status before I could find work again. But I was no longer in a hurry. One morning, I got into my best jumpsuit and went up to the station hub, tracking down the dry docks. When I found Griselda's berth and saw it sitting there outside an observation window, webbed by work gantries, access tubes, and cables, I stopped. A jab of fear. Flashes of light. A pretty, smiling face. Darkness. I thought I'd get sentimental looking at it, but I was frightened. A deep voice behind me made me jump. Is much work to be doing. The older man had seen me hovering, I guess, and had set down the fine detail work he'd been messing with at the community workshops across the bay. I turned and looked at him. He seemed older and sadder. He didn't give me a suspicious or critical look. He wasn't angry or bombastic. He was just there. And so was I. I hear you have a new kid helping out. Ja. He's good boy. Wants to learn. Well, that's the most important thing, I commented. I had come here hoping to say something hoping to find something. I hadn't changed my mind about returning, and he seemed to understand this without even bringing it up. I looked back out the viewport. I couldn't frame my words suddenly. I couldn't capture them and send them to my tongue. I was scared and horribly confused. There was no meaning on the other side of that window. No purpose why any of it had happened. The meaning was all back in time somewhere, out of reach, and out of sight forever. War. It was his only comment, his only offering of consolation and commiseration. And we stood there silently for long minutes, Side by side, seeing a ship, and a girl, and a world aflame. Then I turned around and walked away. Another buzz at the door of my shabby room, this time deep into the station's third shift, made me wary, either of hired muscle in fine clothes or more unsavory types. I was actually awake because I'd had another nightmare. I kept seeing a precise, cultured man in a crowded alley with a look of deep surprise in his eyes. Nothing about it was shocking or violent, but it had filled me with terrible dread. I woke up sweating and lay there in the dark, listening to a muffled party going on in the room next door. Early in the night, some drunken idiots headed for the fun had pounded on my door by accident. 
They'd been rough-looking guys, and one of them cursed me out for not being who he expected. Thereafter, I placed a plastic bottle of Grano by the door. A smack to the head with one of those could bring a big man to his knees. Purchased weeks before, it was still unopened, and I hefted it carefully. Who's there? I challenged. The reply was unintelligible, but definitely not from the loud, angry party guys, so I opened the door. And Anya slipped into my room in a familiar manner. She was gone again when I woke up late first shift, bleary and confused, as if she'd only been another dream. Four years later, I was sitting in an automat diner over on Bantu Stopover. This was a station in mid-space between systems that had no other purpose than to service starships and their spacers. Docks, warehouses, fueling ports, diners, clinics, brothels, sleep cubes, even tiny gift stalls for people heading home to buy trinkets for their families and friends. It was a busy place where commerce came and went day in, day out. People were dressed in jumpsuits, uniforms, and the ordinary work clothes of their professions. Because that was a practical thing in a practical place where everyone was on their way to somewhere else. I was currently signed as a cargo spesh aboard a big modular hauler. We were here for one day only to refuel and recharge life support. We'd fallen behind schedule, and all hands had had to bust their humps to get the ship ready. I'd been working for two solid shifts when we finally got an hour's break. The diner was right off the dock, so I decided to stretch my legs and grab something quick. This automated restaurant was a loud, steamy place composed of a single cramped counter and ancient serving units in front of each seat. I'd been in here a couple times before on different cruises, different ships. It was always crowded, but fairly clean for all that, and the sandwiches were decent. A tray with my order had just been deposited in front of me when a call popped up in my field of view. I wore a new wrist comp now, a nice one since I could afford it, along with some high-quality full-orbit retinals. Not iLife, though. No vendor lock-ins for me, thanks. These were my only big indulgences. I still rented tiny rooms and sleep cubes between berths, and still ate in places like this, and I was regaining the figure to prove it. The call was from a large courier service. They had branches everywhere, even here. For a moment, I thought it was some headhunter. The companies automatically ran people's publicly available qualifications against their own job database and pushed out tailored recruitment offers to the spacers' individual comm units as a matter of course. It was a spammy, irritating practice that rarely ever produced a decent lead. So I was pleasantly surprised to learn this message was actually a delivery notice. 
I hadn't ordered anything recently, and certainly not on Bantu, but a real human came on the line and assured me that they did indeed have a package in their office with my name on it. I had set my rig to allow public pinging in case the ship had to track me down, so they picked up my location on their mapping service and told me to expect delivery within a few minutes. I was surprised enough that I forgot to ask where it was from while I still had a person to talk to, and spent the intervening time munching my pseudo-ham sandwich and racking my brain to recall what it was I'd purchased. In about 15 minutes, a young girl, dressed in the bright green jumper of the company's colors, stopped her roller in front of the diner's frosted window and walked in with a packet under her arm. I verified with her portable ident, signed my name, and took the package. It was a flat, transstellar parcel, only a few centimeters thick and made of tough, durable plastic. It was addressed to me by name and had a long delivery history detailed upon an animated display sticker. I scrolled through a long list of stopovers, stations, and ports of call, expressing the complex process of tracking and catching up to a man with no fixed address. It had been in transit for over 700 days and passed through at least two dozen stations in settled space, some of which I knew and some I didn't. Point of origin was the Keldon system way over in corporate space, a place I'd never heard of. The listed sender was Tar Heel Lincoln. Being sort of cheek to jowl, I annoyed the lady on the stool next to me with my elbows as I tore the package open. It turned out to contain only a smaller envelope. This had no printing on it, but it was strange and felt like real paper. Creamy white with a wonderful, rich texture to the touch and visible fibers crisscrossing with random complexity and strength. Inside was a folded piece of the same kind of paper, on which were some lines of text. They were written in actual ink, because being very much myself, I spilled some coffee as I held it, and a few of the letters ran deep blue. It was the lyrics of a song, one I knew. They spoke of a fishery and a pretty girl. They chronicled hope and love and undeserved salvation. The words, all shaky and spidery, were very obviously handwritten. I smeared the wet ink, wiping it clean, and only made it worse, the way you can do sometimes trying to fix things. The words were still legible, though, and I spread the paper out on the counter and took a careful still image with my retinals. The lady next to me watched with idle curiosity, but looked away when I glanced up. Then I pushed my mess, note and all, into the counter's trash slot, cleaning a spot for the next guy. My sandwich was gone, and people were waiting for a seat. Still, I took a moment, just thinking of nothing, looking for nothing. No one was enraged here. There was no snow, no factories. It was only a station servicing a ship that I was signed to 
a ship that would be undocking, leaving a place and going to one in the same moment. There was only motion in the universe. Constant, constant, constant motion. Getting up with a tired sigh, pushing between people seated in the narrow diner and people queued up and waiting, I headed back to the hauler. We'd be done here soon, and there was still a long way to go. You have been listening to Street Candles, written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com or drop me an email at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on soundcloud.com. The Street Candles theme is called Undercover by Karsten Holy Moly and can be found on dig.ccmixter.org. This production is otherwise copyright 2013 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Street Candles is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead or any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care.